Chadwick Boseman, the guy from Black Panther, he recently passed away. He didn't set up a will or a trust or anything. And his family ended up losing a couple of million dollars because of it. So I would hate for that to happen to anybody because it's totally avoidable. And for the sake of a couple hundred bucks, you can set up a will very easily. So that's on the lower end of the pole. Then in the middle, you could set up a simple living trust. This is the most common trust. Uh, most people have heard of it. And again, that will execute your wishes and it will keep away, in theory, the probate cards, right? So that hopefully it doesn't get contested. Everybody knows what's going on and it can carry out your wishes. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Casey Johan. Today we're digging into a huge topic for real estate investors, asset protection. We're specifically getting into the topic of asset protection trusts. This is a topic that is pretty tough to get into, tough to get into the weeds of, but trusts are incredibly powerful for both asset protection and legacy preservation and creation. So today we dig into what is a trust? What defines a trust? What makes it up? How can it benefit real estate investors? How can trust help you pass your wealth along to future generations, not just your kids, but your grandkids, your great grandkids, and so on? Wealth creation, all the work that you put in to build your wealth, you know, it makes a lot of sense to preserve it as you push along to future generations. Trusts are incredibly valuable for that. And we're digging into trusts versus LLCs, tax implications, and so much more today. Casey is a wealth of knowledge. You're going to learn a lot. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lotes. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially partnering with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com or click the link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Once again, our guest today is Casey Johan. Let's go. Casey, thanks for joining us today. Before we get into talking about asset protection, can you tell us about yourself, your company, and your practice, what you do? Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to be a guest and share some information. I'm Casey Chohan, uh, founder and CEO of Together CFO, where we help business owners, multi-seven-figure business owners, better understand their numbers. So the fundamental principle all boils down to numbers, whether you're doing that for real estate investments or business purposes. It's all to do with understanding how the numbers are made up, how much money you have left over to invest. So therefore you can create passive streams of, of wealth or whatever it is you want to invest in or charity work. But without knowing what those numbers are as a core fundamental route, it's really hard to then make informed business decisions. So that's how we started off and then went into CFO services, which is the next level above. So think of it as bookkeeping as the basic number crunching. And then the tiers above that get into being like a controller to make sure that the numbers are correct and reconciled. And then the strategy piece, which is my favorite piece, the CFO piece, where you're taking those numbers and then you're making really good informed business decisions with them. And then life decisions as part of that as well, you know, as wealth grows and the cycle of life. So in a nutshell, that's how we started back in the day. I've been in accounting and finance for multiple decades now. 
as you can hear, born and raised in England, and then moved over to, uh, to America in Los Angeles back in 2011. Awesome. Well, thanks for the summary and, and getting us caught up. And today I'd love to dig into asset protection trusts. I think a lot of real estate investors out there have a pretty good idea of what an LLC is from an asset protection and ownership standpoint. But trusts, on the other hand, are in use, but folks aren't really, I think, out there providing the best information about what trusts can do for us as investors. So let's start with trust. Can you tell us what trusts are, define that for us, and then we can dig in a little bit deeper into what they do for us? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it, it's a topic because that not many people are really clear on. They might know the high level or the basics, but when you dig into it, it's similar to insurance. There's so many different types of it. You could have over 84 different types of trust all do something slightly different. It can get confusing very simply, very easily. So to break it down into what is a trust, it's a three-part contract. So think of it as there's one party that's putting assets into a trust. There's another party that is managing the trust, which is the fiduciary. And then it's for the benefit of a beneficiary. So if we wanted to think of it as three different generations, it's all always easy to think of it like that. So Taylor, let's use you as an example. You could be the trustee in the middle, you know, managing your, you're the fiduciary of the trust. Your parents could put some real estate into the trust, as an example, and you're managing that for the benefit of your kids. So you've got the kids as the beneficiary, you as the trustee, and your parents as the grantors. So that could be one example. Now, there's different types. Again, we won't go into all of them because there's way too many, but generally speaking, it's a contract between those three parties. Now, it gets more complex because you could be two of those three parties, right? So again, we're getting into the weeds there, but generally speaking, just to keep it super simple, it's a party of three different roles that are going on. The, the grantor, the trustee, and the beneficiary. Okay, great. So I'm glad you mentioned that I or, or one could be two of those three parties. And I'd like to dig into the limitations as to, you know, Obviously, like you said, I, I can't be all three, but which two can I be to gain the maximum asset protection and, and benefit, you know, for myself if this is not a multi-generational strategy in, in any particular case? So when we talk about asset protection, the main thing we're looking at is who owns the actual asset because the liability lies with the owner. So it's really important to understand that. So at an LLC level, Whoever the member is of the LLC is technically the owner of that LLC, right? In the trust, it can get complicated. So again, you can bifurcate the ownership of these things so that technically the, the trustee is the legal owner of it, but it's for the benefit of the beneficiary. So you've kind of bifurcated the ownership of that asset, which it makes it really difficult to then sue because you don't know who you're suing because these names are usually kept in private, right? It's not public record. So there's some good benefits of the asset protection side of it by bifurcation and ownership, but it's really, really important to understand what it is you're trying to achieve at the offset before getting into such structures, right? Whether they're simple trusts or whether they're complex trusts or whether there's a whole million different things in between there, 
it's really important to understand, hey, if I'm doing this for asset protection, do I need something simple like a land trust and then make it, you know, you could get deeper into that. So if we just use that as a generic, simple example that could be applied to the masses, if you buy a piece of real estate, have it owned by a land trust. And again, I'm not giving any advice here. I'm just sharing some opinions. You could have it owned by a land trust. And then the trustee of that land trust could be a Wyoming LLC. So that way you have anonymity over who owns that piece of real estate. Okay. So in that case, would the beneficiary of the trust be that same LLC, myself, or some other third party? It could be, yeah, it could be a mixture of all three of those things, right? It's totally, again, up to you. If you've got two kids, maybe you want both of them to be beneficiaries and or if it's a wife or whoever you wish, again, back to what your family looks like, what your wishes are. Because when you're getting into the trust world, you've got to think of legacy of this is going to stay around a lot longer and wealth. The biggest issue we have with wealthy people is that most of the wealth is dissipated by the second generation. So that means, let's say you have $10 million of net worth and you pass on to your kids. By the time it gets to your grandkids, they are going to lose 88% of that approximately. So it, it all boils down to intent and purpose. What is it you're actually trying to achieve? And, and that's why when we speak with a lot of people that are interested, we actually let them know we don't think that they're ready or they're not a good fit to work with us because it goes really deep. It's not just a matter of, hey, if I just want something simple like anonymity or asset protection, that's really easy to do. You could use that example that I just gave to do that. But when most people at least come speak to us, they're actually looking for a lot more than that. That's one piece of the pizza pie, I think of it as, because they want to create a legacy. They want to create passive wealth for their future generations, because usually they have done well. And to set up these types of things is thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, just depending on how complex your situation is. It's not something anyone should really go into with a light heart, should really think this through because it it's, gets uncomfortable. Nobody likes thinking about your death and then future generations in that regard. But that is really what is required to do this properly. So if you're in the situation where you are setting up one of these trusts with a, a generational view, assuming you've gotten comfortable with the concept of your own death and planning down the road, what are ways that you can think about setting it up to put rules in place so that maybe the assets will remain invested or the folks that are the, the beneficiaries or the or the trustees won't you know, massively over leverage the assets or, you know, make some very foolish decisions with the assets and lose everything anyway, like setting up some guardrails so that the $10 million estate we mentioned, you mentioned earlier, theoretically, isn't down by 88% in two generations, but is instead up by, you know, 200% or whatever you want to pick. Yeah, this, this is arguably the hardest part of it all. So there's multiple ways in which you could do this. One, you could hire board of trustees. Now, this could be a mixture of some family members, some professionals, some wealth managers, some real estate people to kind of create this board. Think of it as when you create a board for your company, you want really well-established people that have been there and done that, that can add value. 
And in exchange for that value, you're either going to give them some money, some shares, or something of that ilk. It's the same exact thing at a family level. So now think of it as your family is this $10 million corporation. How, who do I need to be around us to help preserve this wealth? And it's the same thing. You put a board of trustees in to then help make better decisions, whether that's you could, and you can split it down into the next section. You could have distribution board of trustees. You could have investment board of trustees. So on that, let's use investment board of trustees as an example. You could have a real estate expert like yourself on there. You could have a stock portfolio expert on there. You could have a gold expert on there. So now you are an art expert. Now you're going to take counsel from these really experienced professionals that know what they're doing in their given industry. And now you might not always agree, but that's the whole point of the board is to come up with a resolution that makes sense for the betterment of the beneficiaries and to teach the family and grow that family wealth. Okay. So at what point, generally speaking, of net worth or expected value of assets you're planning to pass on, do these trusts start to make sense? Now, I would imagine if I had $100 upon my passing to pass on, it wouldn't be worth the effort. But if I have $10 million, then in this case, it does make sense. There's obviously some gray area in there. At what point do you say, maybe we start thinking about trusts? Yeah, I'll answer it a couple of different ways. Like anything in life, there's scales and tiers of things, right? A really simple way to look at it is if you're on the lower end of the net worth, you could do something really inexpensive and simple, like setting up a will that could cost you a couple of hundred bucks and your wishes can then be fulfilled through that will. Now it can get contested. It can go to probate. And again, at that lower entry level point, you can't expect to have the full bells and whistles, but it could be a way to pass on some amount of wealth very simply without getting the probate lawyers involved. Because the minute those cards are involved, you could lose up to 30, 40% of your wealth instantly. Like Chadwick Boseman, the guy from uh, Black Panther, he recently passed away. He had cancer. He knew he was dying. He didn't set up a will or a trust or anything. And his family ended up losing a couple of million dollars because of it. So I would hate for that to happen to anybody because it's totally avoidable. And for the sake of a couple hundred bucks, you can set up a will very easily. So that's on the lower end of the pole. Then in the middle, you could set up a simple living trust. This is the most common trust. Uh, most people have heard of it. And again, that will execute your wishes and it will keep away, in theory, the probate cards, right? So that <laughs> hopefully it doesn't get contested. Everybody knows what's going on and it can carry out your wishes. And then on the upper end of things, you can get into more complex trusts. And again, as the name suggests, this is for bigger estates. So if you if your estate is, let's say, a million dollars plus, you probably want to look into something more on the complex side. If you're, let's say, tens of thousands to a million, a simple living trust will probably be enough, at least at a starting point, to get things going. And again, they're not expensive. Maybe they're a couple of grand. But it definitely, definitely is a good starting point before you graduate into. It's like driving a Bugatti as your first car, right? It's a little bit over the top. Let's start simple and work our way up to that. Okay. So 
let's say in the context of utilizing trusts, not in the context of planning our death, but while we're alive for either asset protection or privacy. We touched on that very briefly. I've had conversations with real estate investors who do use trusts in their property acquisitions to kind of hide themselves basically in the transaction and and gain some privacy in that sense. How complex is it to do that compared to, say, a Wyoming LLC, which have privacy and asset protection, everything involved in that? They're kind of two different tools. Which one's more complex? Which one makes more sense for those purposes? Well, they both achieve different things, right? And a lot depends on the state you're in as well, because it's different by each state. And then also the purpose of the purchase as well. So I can a simple example would be if you just want anonymity and you're in California, you might want to use a land trust first and have the trustee be the Wyoming LLC. That way, your name won't appear anywhere. If you're in Florida, you could probably go straight to the Wyoming LLC. You don't need to have that land trust. So each of the states is different. So I would definitely say to speak to a local lawyer first in the jurisdiction that you are, run those ideas by them. Hopefully they should already know this. They should come to you with, hey, these are the options. And then you can make the the judgment based on an informed decision. It's back to what we were saying about the numbers, right? So we focus on making sure your monthly financials are solid because if they're solid, you can make better decisions. It's the same with your team, right? Any member of your team should be bringing you ideas, solutions at the same time as they bring problems. If they're just coming with problems and no solution or not really thought through it very much, then that's a big problem because you don't have a solution or at least a good enough team to provide some insight into how to improve, right? So it all depends on what it is you're doing. If it's your primary residence versus a passive investment, again, it's different because in some states like in California, you get a personal protection on that. So you might not have to go through all the bells and whistles and all of these layers of additional complexity if if you're in certain states. So, so okay. it doesn't, unfortunately, there's not one simple answer that fits everything. But from an asset protection standpoint, the, the two most commonly used tools are going to be a land trust and a Wyoming LLC. Okay, great. And talk to a local attorney if you need more specific yeah, information. Okay. I mean, both of them are not always needed, but if they are, you're still talking maybe a couple of thousand bucks. It's not like tens of thousands to set these things up. They're pretty much copy and paste documents from the local lawyer that's used them a million times before. So let's talk about another really big topic that we're not going to be able to fully cover here, but still want to at least touch on it. The tax implications of you know transferring assets into a trust, say going back to the context of I have a $10 million net worth. I want to pass this along to future generations, but my assets are not currently held in a trust. It's various LLC ownerships or what have you, real estate investments and transferring those assets into a trust. How do we think about any potential tax implications there? Are there tax implications there? Big question, but I want to at least dive into that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. There, They are major, major, major tax implications if you do it wrong, right? So as an example, let's use an S-Corp versus an LLC. 
And if an S-Corp, it's share-based, right? The main difference is it's a pass-through, but it's share-based in the S-Corp and it's membership-based in the LLC. It might seem like a small semantic, but it does make a big deal from a taxation standpoint. Because let's say we have a piece of real estate in an S-Corp and a piece of real estate in an LLC. In that S-Corp, if you take that real estate out, you're going to get taxed. So you'll have to revaluate it usually at fair market value which is often going to be higher than the basis that it's in there at. So that will trigger a taxable event. Now, if you sell those shares of the S-Corp, the same thing happens, right? You're going to get taxed on a sale. Now, in an LLC, the main difference is you can add members and remove members and negotiate what the percentage of those members are. A lot easier than sales of shares. So membership base is a lot easier to deal with and a lot more flexible from a tax perspective than an S-Corp is in this instance. Now, there's other benefits of an S-Corp, like payroll deductions and things like that, that you you get better incentive in an S-Corp than you do in an LLC. So again, I'm not issuing any advice. It's not a hard and fast rule, but generally speaking, it just depends on what it is you're trying to do and achieve as to what type of setup you would need. Now, to to give you a third plug there, we talked about S-Corps and LLCs briefly. Now, what about if that property is owned by a trust? What happens then? Because the treatment of it is slightly different again in a trust than it would be in an LLC or an S-Corps. Depending on the ownership, and again, everything comes back to ownership and title, that will really dictate and determine how the privacy and the anonymity is, and then also how the taxation is. Because if you start moving these assets around in the wrong way, you could easily trip up and trigger a significant capital event um, in taxation. But if you change the membership of an LLC, as an example, or exchange that, that's a much easier way to go. Wow. So there's so much there. We have briefly touched on some of these like more wealthy blue blood families, if you will, that have passed their, their wealth on for generations. Now in the real estate space, when that conversation comes up, I feel like we, we always wind up hearing from one of these, I don't mean to sound too derisive about that, but one of these infinite banking folks selling life insurance policies. And I, I want to at least ask your opinion about that because I, I personally feel there's a lot of, there might be value there, but there's also a lot of kind of overselling of those benefits and overstatement of whether the, like on your website, you talk about the Kennedys, for example, whether families of that level are really using those policies compared to using trusts and and so on. So infinite banking, whole life insurance, passing it along. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's not a huge kind of worms, this one, but generally speaking in the research and the cases that I've looked at, insurance is heavily used within trusts. So the trust owns the insurance policy. And the Rockefellers uh, are a prime example of this one because it's so powerful when done correctly. Now, you touched on it because there's so many types of insurance, like there are types of trust, and it can get confusing. And generally speaking, I would agree with you, most insurance people are just trying to make a commission rather than actually caring about what they're creating But if done correctly with infinite banking, 
then there are a lot of benefits that you can use that within a trust to grow assets. Because ultimately, if you think of just high level, I the way I view in insurance isn't as most people would. I view it as an asset class that's going to return me in the region of five to five and a half percent per given year. I use mass mutual policies. They're fantastic and really easy to use. Very tech forward company. Again, I'm not affiliated to them in any way, shape or form. That's just what I use. I know based on what they say, I'm going to get 5% worst case. I'm not getting that in my bank. I'm not getting that in a T-bond or maybe I am in a short-term T-bond now, but I can take that 5% and then still reinvest the, some of the money that I put in there, the vast majority of it. So if I was to take that 5% and let's say I, I did a hard money loan on the other money that was in there at 10%, now I'm making 15% return on my money. So that's how I view it is that if the policy is set up right, whereas it's not padded with commissions, which is the number one problem I see in that industry, right? Is that everyone's just wanting to get their fee. And just the way around that or the way I would speak to it is like, okay, Mr. Insurance agent, tell me how much am I putting in? How much is going towards my dividend? How much commission are you making on me on this policy? I want to know. Because if they can't be transparent with you on things like that, that's where you need to find a better advisor. Very reasonable. Sounds like in your case, are you using a high cash value life insurance policy and using that cash value to make that hard money loan so you can juice your returns then? Not me. My trust is doing that. Yeah, not me. trust. Okay. Okay. Nice. You got me there. Awesome. Well, we opened a lot of cans of worms today and, you know, hopefully the listeners learned something. I know I did. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Casey, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yep. First one, what is your number one book recommendation? Think and Grow Rich. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but the the hidden nuances within the book help you think completely differently. And the power of the mastermind and kind of surrounding yourself with others and being of service is, is such a powerful life lesson that it's got to be up there. Nice. I love that. Great recommendation. Then we go from question number one to question number two. Who inspires you? Ray Dalio. I really like Ray Dalio right now. And I've been following him for a while. I read all of his books, principles, and just like the way he thinks through cycles and then takes really complex themes like currency and, and world politics and puts it into very tangible and understandable steps. But then on top of that, helps you create your own principles that mixed with the the longevity and kind of the legacy creation that's really important to me. It just meshes so well. So I, I really, really like Ray Dalio. I like him as well. I'm, I also follow Peter Zihan, and I've been very curious about Ray Dalio's take on demographic tra- trends specifically related to China, because in his most recent book... He talks a lot about how, you know, China's kind of the new world order type of thing, yeah. but doesn't seem to touch on the demographic trends quite as much as Peter Zihan does. So I don't know. I'd love to hear that conversation. Well, next time I speak to him, I will mention it. To <laughs> please, please do. And I will, I will tune in. Third question. My favorite question here. 
Think about your 80-year-old self. What feedback does he have for you today, positive or negative? What would he say to you right now? Learn to sell quicker. The the number one skill I think anyone could have is selling. Right now, the 80-year-old me speaking would be, rather than being too busy in the accounting books and the numbers, to become more well-rounded sooner. Like I only started becoming an entrepreneur in my mid-30s. And that was after a long period in accounting and finance. So if I, if I was to get into the world of marketing and sales earlier rather than later, I think that would have definitely helped. Great advice to uh, give back to yourself and, you know, help you push forward. Casey, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all this knowledge. Where can folks learn more about you or learn more about Together CFO? Yeah, togethercf4.com is the website and uh, togethercfo everywhere on social media from Instagram to YouTube and and everywhere in between. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.